0: Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Lemington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, shalom everyone. That wasn't a bad response. Let's pray that again. Shalom. shalom. Wonderful. Who can tell me what shalom means? It does mean peace. It's the Hebrew for peace. And it's a very special peace, actually. It's a peace which passes understanding. It's a peace that Paul talks about in Philippians. It's a peace which I believe that we can only have when we meet with the Prince of Peace himself, the Messiah Jesus. And I came to know Jesus 18 years ago as my Lord and Savior. I grew up with my mum, who was Jewish. thought that might happen. (laughs) Um, My mother wasn't religious but she was uh, culturally very Jewish and she taught me three things growing up. Um, The first thing I learned was that I was Jewish. I learned that there was someone called God and I also learned that I couldn't believe in Jesus because we Jews don't believe in Jesus. Well so that was what I was told. And um, I actually went through quite a long search to find the truth. Um, In fact, I think we have the video clip, do we, Dave? Um, Chris, if we could just play play that, it's a 90-second video clip. Just, it'll tell you a little bit more about my journey. My name is Julia Pascoe, and my passion in life is to go out to the streets and tell other people about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. From a very young age, I knew three things. I knew I was Jewish, I knew there was a God, and I knew I couldn't believe in Jesus. Many years later, a non-Jewish Christian challenged me to read the Bible. She shared the gospel with me. One of the struggles that I had in considering Jesus when I first heard the gospel was what would my mother have thought? My mother passed away when I was 16. And even though she wasn't religious, I was brought up to believe that we weren't allowed to talk about Jesus, he wasn't for us. So I had to overcome uh, a feeling of guilt. It's not always easy to go out to the streets and try and talk to people who you've never met before. Hello, how are you? But I'll always be thankful for my non-Jewish Christian friend who had the courage and the commitment to open up the Bible with me. I always think that if you had a cure for a deadly disease, you wouldn't withhold that information. You would tell everybody that you know. And that's who Jesus is. He's the cure for the most deadly disease, which is sin. And so when we go out and we share with Jewish and non-Jewish people the message of the gospel, we're sharing good news. Thank you, Chris. So that tells you in a very short um, time how I came to faith and the work that we do. And I'll tell you a bit more about the work of Jews for Jesus um, as we go along this morning. But it's a privilege to be here at Life Community Church You know, if my Christian friend hadn't have told me the gospel, if she hadn't have had the boldness, in spite of knowing I was Jewish, to share the truth of the Jewish Messiah with me, I may not be standing here today um, with the, you know, delight of being with you all. So uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Christ in the harvest or Christ in the autumn feasts of Israel this morning. Um, Hands up if you know Jewish people. Great. Um, Well, actually, now you all know a Jewish person. (laughs) But um, yeah, if you know Jewish people, you might know that just recently we finished celebrating the high holidays or the high holy days. Uh, About four weeks ago, it was Jewish New Year at the beginning of uh, October. And that's called Rosh Hashanah. Let's say that together. Rosh Hashanah. It means the head of the year. And um, a week later, there's, sorry, 10 days later, there's Yom Kippur. That's the uh, Day of Atonement. And then a week and a half after the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, there's the Feast of Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, which ended about a w- couple of weeks ago now. And this is the most sacred time of the year for Jewish people. And everything that we celebrate is found in everybody's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus, Leviticus. And believe me, if Leviticus isn't your favorite book of the Bible, it will be by the end of this morning. Um, So the holidays are based around Leviticus, it's particularly chapter 23. So a lot of my talk will be looking at chapter 23, we'll go a little bit into chapter 17, chapters 16. And I like to refer to chapter 23 of Leviticus as God's prophetic calendar. Now what might I mean by that, God's prophetic calendar? Well, the exciting thing about Leviticus 23 is that we see right there in that chapter the mission, the two-part mission of the Messiah. In the first half of the chapter, it starts with the Sabbath and then Passover, um, and it ends with Shavuot, which is Pentecost, That's known as the spring feasts, and the Messiah has fulfilled that first part of his mission. That's by him coming into the world, dying for our sin and rising from the dead, and then the sending of the Holy Spirit. But there's a second part to his mission, which we have to look forward to. Jesus is coming back, amen? And that's known as what we call the autumn feasts of Israel. Now, of course, I'm talking to you as a Jewish person who believes in Jesus. So most of my people haven't come to this truth and knowledge yet. But the autumn feasts in the second half of Leviticus 23 is what we're looking at this morning. And it's all celebrated in the seventh holy month on the Jewish calendar called Tishri. Let's say that together. Tishri. It's the seventh sacred month of the year on the Jewish calendar. And seven is a very important number in scripture. Does anyone know what seven signifies? Perfection or completion. And so that's when these, these feasts are actually observed. Now I'd like you to turn with me to Leviticus 23, verse 23 to 25. That's Leviticus 23, Verse 23 to 25. And while you're looking for the passage, it's important to understand that Jewish people approach this holiday with a very sober, solemn heart, because the heart of, or the theme of of these holidays is repentance. Rosh Hashanah, or known as the Feast of Trumpets, also in, in that chapter, is a time of repentance. And then it leads into a time of redemption. And then it finishes with the Feast of Tabernacles as a time of rejoicing. But it begins in a very solemn, with a very solemn tone. So let's read the passage. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest, a a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Could I ask you to pass me that trumpet, please? (laughs) Thank you do no regular work but present an offering made to the Lord by fire so God wanted to commemorate the beginning of this sacred seventh month of Tishri he said not only stop but hear the sound of the trumpet and I happen to have one here can anyone tell me what this is it's a ram's horn and it's called in Hebrew it's called a shofar let's say that together shofar shofar show good very good Now, I'm going to try and get a sound out of this. I did play this for your lovely daughters early this morning through there, and it worked perfectly. Probably won't right now, but if if you've got sensitive ears, please put your fingers in your ears because it can get loud if I manage to play it right. There you go. (laughs) Now... (laughs) Trumpet blasts are very important in scripture. We first hear the sound of the, the shofar, the trumpet, when Moses is receiving the law at Mount Sinai. We also hear the trumpet blasts when the, when the captives were set free at Jubilee. And the trumpet blast will again be heard to announce the second coming of the Messiah. And it's going to sound a lot more glorious than that, praise the Lord. So it's very important. And it's one of the religious duties for every Jewish person at Rosh Hashanah, at the Feast of Trumpets, to actually hear the sound of the shofar. It will be sounded all over the synagogues across the whole world at this time. Now, another observance at Rosh Hashanah is called the reading of the Akedah, and that's the binding of Isaac. And so in the synagogue, Jewish people all over the world read from Genesis 22. It's a well known passage for us, for us, for you and I. We recall the binding of Isaac. So we recall, we read that passage and we recall that God commanded Abraham to take his one and only son Isaac to make him a sacrifice. And it must have been a terrifying time. But Abraham, in obedience, obeyed the lord and he prepared isaac to go and do this and what does abraham say to the servants just before they go up to the mount abraham says to the servants wait here we will go and worship and the boy and i will return and yet it doesn't make sense does it because abraham's thinking that he's about to go and sacrifice his son but you see this lovely display of abraham's faith even right there And, you know, I don't think God has asked any of us to do something this drastic. And yet Abraham walked in obedience. And then he's about to slay Isaac. And in fact, just beforehand, Isaac says, but father, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. And just about as Abraham is about to slay his son, God cries out and tells him to not harm the lad And he turns around, and what does he find in the thicket? A ram. So this shofar, the ram's horn, also reminds us of Abraham's faith. Now in Judaism, the rabbis teach, um, it's called the merits of the fathers. The rabbis teach that we impute Abraham's righteousness to ourselves, that somehow we can be right with God through what Abraham did. But there's a big problem with that, isn't there? We can't have somebody else's faith. We can't be made right with God through someone else's faith. God wants us to have faith in him. It's a personal relationship. And that's why Abraham was righteous, because he had faith. He had a personal relationship with God. And out of that faith and love, he walked in obedience. So if you do know Jewish people, some of you here do, you've got a great opportunity to talk about this scripture and get into conversation about what it really means. Now, the last observance of Rosh Hashanah is actually counting 10 days. It's known as the 10 days of awe. And we count 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, the feast, uh, the Day of Atonement. And in those 10 days, the rabbis teach Jewish people that we can have 10 days to try and get right with God. Um, we've got... Uh, prayers long lists of um, confessions in the synagogue and charity um, good works in hebrew the word is mitzvot let's say that together mitzvot Um, it means good works and the rabbis teach that god opens three books at rosh hashanah one for the totally righteous one for the totally wicked and one book for those of us who are somewhere in between And so we hope that we can kind of tip the scales and pray enough and fast enough and do enough mitzvot, good works, that we might be in that book somewhere in between. Now, in the religious community, known as the Hasidic community, the ultra-Orthodox, they will even go to a stream of running water or a lake or a river. And they'll empty their pockets into the river based on a scripture in Micah chapter 7. And Micah chapter 7 verse 19 says, you will again have compassion on us, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And so this is just a a symbol of trying to get right with God. And you can see it's with a repentant heart that Jewish people, it's with a, a sincere heart that we approach this holy day of the year, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day of judgment. Now, I'd like to look at how Yom Kippur was observed back in the Old Testament. Um, In the day of Moses, the high priest, his brother Aaron, was the only person that was allowed to um, go into the Holy of Holies. Do you remember God had issued a solemn warning that no man could see his face and live except for that one day? And Aaron, the high priest, would have to dress in a special garment. He'd have a rope around his waist and bells around the bottom of his garment. And he would go into the Holy of Holies and make sacrifices for himself, for his own sin to be atoned for, and for the sins of the people of Israel. Now, why do you think he would have had a rope around his waist and bells around his garment? Any ideas? Yeah, so the people could hear the bells jingling that meant things were going well. If the bells stopped jingling, things were going not so well. And if things went not so well, the rope was there so the people outside could pull him out because nobody was allowed to be in the presence of God. must have been a terrifying time. And on that day of judgment, on that day of Yom Kippur atonement, Aaron would sacrifice a bull, pour the blood onto the altar... And that would atone for sin. And he had two goats. The high feature of this day were two goats. One of the goats was sacrificed and its blood was poured on the altar that atoned for his sin and for the sins of Israel. And then the real high feature was the second goat, which was kept alive. And this was called the Azazel. Let's say that together. Azazel. Very good. And Azazel is a Hebrew word which means scapegoat. Now, who can tell me what a scapegoat is? That's right. Somebody or something innocent that takes the blame for someone else. And so this Azazel was kept live, and this is what Aaron would have to do. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21 to 22, then Aaron shall lay both hands On the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel, and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. He shall lay them on the head of the goat, and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of man who stands in readiness. And the goat shall bear on itself all its iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So this goat is having the sins of the people of Israel transferred onto itself. What does this remind us of? Jesus. Jesus became the ultimate scapegoat. And he not only bore the sins of the people of Israel, he bore the sins of Jew and Gentile of the whole world upon himself. Again, if you know Jewish people, it's a great verse of Scripture to get into conversation over. Well, that's how the Day of Atonement was observed back then. Okay, it was a pretty terrifying time. Um, But how about today? How can Jewish people have their sins forgiven today? How can Jewish people be sure of God's forgiveness? How can we have assurance of our sin being covered Exactly the same as the whole world through Jesus. In fact, Leviticus 17 tells us, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Of course, when Jesus went to the cross, his blood was shed for us all. Praise the Lord. He was the once and for all sacrifice, paying a full and final price for everyone, for Jew and Gentile, for the whole world. So if you've ever been told that Jews have a different covenant with God, that they have their own special relationship, it's not true. Yes, God chose the Jewish people. He chose us for one purpose and one purpose only. And that was to make him known amongst the world because God so loved the world. Because of his love of the nations, he chose the smallest, weakest nation to be set apart to make him known. And God's call is irrevocable. He doesn't change his mind. His call is still that on the Jewish people today. That's why as a Jew who believes in Jesus, there's only one thing for me to do in life, and that's to tell my Jewish people about him. And in the process of doing that, Jews for Jesus, we get to tell many, many non-Jewish people about the gospel. We see far more non-Jews come to faith in Jesus than we do our own people. Um, So Jesus, he claimed to be the living temple, and in him are all the elements. He's the high priest, he's the offering and the altar, and his death is able to usher both Jew and Gentile into the presence of the Holy One. Amen? Amen. Well, picture this. The sun is setting on the day of Yom Kippur. Jewish people breathe a sigh of relief. And then we prepare to rejoice and celebrate the third and final feast in Leviticus 23. This is called the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, in a very Jewish neighborhood in the back gardens, you will see Uh, tabernacles that are built into the back garden they're sort of wooden slats and they've got leafy palm branches hanging all over them with pomegranates and citrus fruits and it's a really amazing thing to see and the feast of tabernacles is a seven-day feast and so for seven days Jewish families will eat sleep and do everything in the tabernacle depending on the weather (laughs) but um, it's a real fun and joyous time um, for the family Well, I want to look just briefly at how this feast was observed in the Old Testament. Because the Feast of Tabernacles is a harvest festival. It's really a time where we give God thanks for his provision. Uh, We wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and he provided, do you remember, he provided the manna from heaven Uh, for 40 years. He clothed us, he sheltered us. So it's about his provision and it's about his presence. He dwelt with us. And um, he gave us temporary dwelling booths during that time. So it's a time that we thank God for those times. And during that time in the wilderness, during the whole week, 70 sacrifices would have been offered up. Try and imagine that, 70 sacrifices in one week. That must have been quite a gory thing. But the 70 sacrifices represented the 70 nations, demonstrating that there was shelter in God's tabernacle for both Jew and Gentile. So we see, even back then, God's plan to dwell with all people for the whole world back there. Well, let's look at how Jesus observed the Feast of Tabernacles, because the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the three feasts that all Jewish men had to go up to Jerusalem to observe. Passover, Shavuot, which is Pentecost, if you didn't know that Jew, uh, Pentecost was a Jewish holiday, you do now. Um, and the third feast that we had to go up was tabernacles. And Jesus, being a good Jewish boy, observed this feast. Now, in his day, 2,000 years ago, I want you to try and picture what it would have looked like. In Jerusalem, Just you can't imagine how many multitudes of people were, were going up to celebrate this feast. And every day for seven days, the congregation would follow the high priest and he would draw water with a big golden pitcher from the pool of Siloam. And he would pour water on the altar. They would pray for abundant rain, an agricultural society. But they were also looking forward to a spiritual rain because 2,000 years ago, the people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah It was a messianic expectant time. Do you remember John the Baptist got interrogated by the religious leaders? You know, he was baptizing Jews. Oh, you didn't do that. He was baptizing Jews. It was a baptism of repentance. And do you remember the Sanhedrin sent the religious leaders and they said, Are you the prophet? Referring to Deuteronomy 18, 18. No, he said. Are you Elijah? No. And he confessed freely that he's not the Messiah. They were waiting So try and picture this. On the last and great day of the feast, on the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's known as Shana Rabbah. Let's say that together. Shana Rabbah. On the last and great day, as they were pouring out the water on the altar, on the seventh day, they would cry out from Psalm 118, Hoshienu. Say that with me. Hoshienu. That's Hebrew for Hosanna. Hosanna means, save us, Lord, save us. They were crying out, save us. They were also crying out, Baruch Abba, Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as the water's being poured out, and they're crying out for abundant rain, and they're crying out, save us, Lord. Jesus stands up on the last and great day of the feast. And he says, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as the scripture has said streams of living water will flow from within him. That's one of Jesus's messianic claims on the last and great day of the feast. And then finally, the high feature was the illumination of the temple on that on that week of tabernacles. And they would light four giant lampstands, golden lampstands in the temple courts. And the lampstands were so high that the men had to climb up ladders to light them. And that light was a representation of God's light to the whole world. And it was then that Jesus stood up and made another one of his messianic claims, I am the light of the world. Now, imagine if you'd have been Jewish in that day and hearing Jesus's words. And so many people followed him at that time. And in fact, the gospel first went out from Jewish lips. It was Jewish believers in Jesus. Jews, when people say, how long have Jews for Jesus been around? I like to say, well, around 32 AD, give or take a year. <laughs> you know, the gospel first went out from Jewish people. And yet today, of the 13 million Jews in the world, there's about 100,000 who are believers. That's less than 1%. So that makes us a very unreached people group. And so if you would like to pray for the work of Jews for Jesus, and Dave, thanks so much for opening up your hearts to our ministry. This is our first time for Jews for Jesus of visiting your church. If you want to really know how to pray, then you can get our monthly free newsletter. Um, We send it out once a month, either email or snail mail. I recommend the snail mail version. It's it's a very short and easy to read um, piece of paper, but it will help. Tell you who we're actually meeting with, and there's a few people I want to ask you to pray for. Henry, Jewish man, 96, just prayed to receive the Lord. Amen. It's a long story, which I don't have time to tell you now, but pray that we can disciple him even in his senior years, that he might even have the courage to tell others about his faith. Would you pray for Golda? She's uh, 89, and she came to faith last year. She got baptized at that age, and we're doing Bible studies with her. But sadly, she has terminal cancer. She's in hospital now. It's just a matter of days, and I'm going to be visiting her tomorrow. But would you pray for a family? Her sister's name is Trudy, 84. She doesn't know Jesus yet and her daughter's name is Rita. And Rita at one point did actually say a prayer of repentance, but she then just had a lot of doubt and said she didn't really mean it, but pray for her. And finally, um, I can't tell you her real name because um, her mother is a very uh, high profile. She's a leader in her Jewish community. But... um, let's call her Sarah. Sarah's 44. She came to faith just a few months ago, and she's really hungry to grow in the Lord. And she just broke the news to her mother, and it shattered her mother's world. It did not go well. And um, this happens for a lot of us, you know. I mean, for me, my family thought I was mad. At best, they'll think we're mad. At worst, we'll even be cut off. So would you pray for Sarah that her You know, she can build that relationship strong with her mum and that her mum and dad will come to faith. Now, if you'd like to know how to pray regularly for us, you received this Christ in the Harvest brochure. Just going to look briefly at this with you. Um, If you haven't got one, I think there's some scattered around on the spare seats. Um, If you look inside, you've got a little summary of what we talked about this morning. And on the back, there's the Feast of Tabernacles there. And then this third panel is called the Involvement Section. And what we're going to do now is we're going to tear the Involvement Section together in unison on the count of three. Okay? Now, would you do that with me? Would you count to three with me? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'll just have to come back and try it again next time. So, unless you're really creative, you should only have two pieces of paper in your hand. Great. And uh, keep that big piece. That's a reminder of what we talked about this morning. And on this third piece, if you fill that in nice and clearly and hand that back to me before I leave this morning. Now, if you sign up for our newsletter today, I'll give you a free booklet called A Roadmap to Christ in the Seven Feasts. So this is a little booklet that explains Leviticus 23. Uh, Usually it's two pounds, but it's free today if you want to sign up for the newsletter today. And then you can just uh, look at the various sections on there on the back. Just tick, please send me the newsletter. If you want it by email only, just make that um, a note at the top there. Um, So that's self-explanatory. Through the hall, we have, uh, there's some materials, um, Jews for Jesus have uh, a lot of resources for believers, and um, some of the things that you can look at this morning out there, there's free, three free things, and then there's not so free things. So if you want to look at some of our free literature, please take as much of that as you'd like. You saw in my little video earlier, um, we hand out leaflets, this is my favorite one, beware of religious fanatics handing out pamphlets. Um, And we wear T-shirts that say, Jesus made me kosher. So, uh, you know, that's how we get into conversations on the street. But, of course, the work really begins when we can sit down one-to-one and look at the Bible with a Jewish person. If you want to go deeper into these feasts, because I can only share with you just a snippet really, this is a great book called Christ in the Feast of Tabernacles written by our executive director, Jewish believer, David Brickner. It's a fantastic book. will help you understand more fully how Jesus fulfills this feast usually seven pounds but i've got this book as well christ in the feast of pentecost and so i'm offering these at two for ten this morning normally seven each if you want both they're two for ten and finally the book that really brought me to faith my christian friend many years ago gave me this book to read betrayed um it's about a jewish man whose daughter came to faith he tried to prove a wrong he had to read the new testament to prove a wrong and guess what happened as he read the new testament He came face to face with Jesus and his whole family did the same search of the scriptures and the whole family got saved. And when I read that book, I knew it was true. It was just a little bit more work God had to do in my heart to bring me to that place of surrender. But it's a wonderful book. It'll encourage you as a believer, but it's also a book that you can give to somebody lend it to someone who's perhaps seeking and wants to know more about Jesus. So... As I say, thank you so much. You know, less than 1% of my people know Jesus. And without your prayers, we couldn't do what we do. You know, prayer is the engine room of everything that we do for God. And we need the church to hold up our hands as we go out there onto the front line. We've got lots of projects coming up um, in 2017. Um, lots of outreaches. In fact, at Christmas, we're having a, a sort of social network outreach. We're realizing that the, the website and social network is the new street corner. you know. So pray for that outreach. At Christmas, um, you have the Jewish feast of Hanukkah. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. It's the feast of dedication. And this year, Hanukkah, which is an eight-day feast, starts on Christmas Eve. And it ends on New Year's Day. So never have a Jewish and a Christian holiday been so uh, together so would you pray for that outreach and Dave if there's time I'll just finish with a song and um, then I'll ask you if you would to to come and pray thank you we hope that you enjoyed this message for many more resources and for more information visit our website at www.life-cc.org